This episode of the Duke Basketball Report podcast is brought to you by the boys of Bird Campbell, PA. Bird Campbell means business. Hello, Duke fans, and welcome to episode 128 of the Duke Basketball Report podcast. It is Sunday, October 14th, 2018. We haven't seen you in a little bit. Uh, I think we have some excuses as to why not. But before we get into that, let me introduce everybody. I, of course, am your host, Sam Klein. I am joined. Uh, I am here coming from uh, from Durham, joined as usual by Donald Wine in Washington, D.C. Donald, good morning on a Sunday. How you doing, man? It was good to see you last week. I was in North Carolina for basically the better part of a week, uh, but it was good to see you while I was down there uh, ever so briefly. And uh, yo, Durham is awesome. So if you guys haven't been to Durham lately, uh, Durham is a fun town, and I had a, I had a great time back, and I will be back there soon. Excellent, excellent. Yeah, I, I don't know how many times we've said Durham is cool now on the show, but it it remains the truth. Yes. So, so yeah, likewise, it was great seeing you. Donald came to to check in on me at school, so he was at Fuqua for about what half an hour with me before yeah. departing again, and I was I was frightfully busy. So uh, I I should bring in our other our other uh, co-host as usual. Jason Evans is here. Uh, he's in Atlanta, or no, he's not in Atlanta. Jason, where are you no. this weekend? So yeah, so I was supposed to be in Atlanta. In fact, I was supposed to go to the Duke Georgia Tech game yesterday. I I had a press pass. I was going to go in the locker room, interview some of the players after the game. But then my son, so my wife was coming up to Philly to visit. I have two sons at school in Philadelphia, one at Penn, one at Haverford. My wife's coming up to visit my son at Penn because his fraternity was having a mom's weekend. And I wasn't going to come with her because it was mom's weekend. I'm not supposed to be there. Um, And then my other son, who recently turned 21, said, wait, dad, if you come up, we can go hang out at the casino for the day because he loves gambling like his father does. Well, I'm not going to turn down a day of gambling. (laughs) So, yeah. So I so I could spend the day losing money at blackjack and making money at poker while sitting next to my son. But that's a pretty darn good day. Jason, Jason, how would your son know that he loves gambling if he only just turned 21? Mm. Mm. Uh, he has been watching his father do it for many years. And ah. He's probably been doing it in a, <laughs> in a clandestine kind of fashion. So, uh, And he turned 21 back in January, so he didn't just turn 21. Um, and uh, and for his 21st birthday, I took him to Atlantic City, and he won a bunch of money at craps. So now he has the gambling bug. I have successfully created another gambling addict. Thank you, thank you very much. Oh man, we're 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 so proud of you. We're so proud of you. So anyway, like I said, we we haven't been here in a couple of weeks. We had some scheduling issues. Duke lost a game to Virginia Tech in football, which nobody wanted to talk about anyway. Um, but we're back now after after a Duke football win. I promise we're not total front runners about about producing this program. We still do the show after Duke loses games. It just it just didn't work out this time. So I'm I'm very sorry that, oh, that oh, it's wait. Gonna, are, yeah. are we gonna are we gonna discuss the other reason? <laughs> so I, I was gonna I was gonna toss it up to you, Jason. Do you want to give an explanation? Because I also I made a mistake. I I try not to when we're doing this show, I try not to advertise sort of what's coming down the pike for us. And I tweeted out a couple weeks ago that we had a show coming later in the week. This was right, I think it was right after the Virginia Tech game. Mm-hmm. I said, we have a great show coming later this week, and we have a really fun interview. 
and I didn't say who it was going to be, but I did want to tease it a little bit. I mentioned this. I think I said it on Twitter. Jason, <laughs> this, this was sort of your game. What you, happened? How much what, do you want to tell happened? us? Yeah. <laughs> oh. So uh, uh, um, I won't get into the full long story. At some point in the future, I'll do the whole long story. But suffice to say that I have been attempting to secure an interview with Bobby Hurley for a long time. And I finally got the Bobby Hurley interview. Uh, I did it um, a, a little more than a week ago. Uh, unfortunately, just Bobby's schedule, he, he has, he's a really busy guy. He's coaching a major conference basketball team. Um, and so Bobby's schedule is very tight. And we, we finally arranged a time. And uh, unfortunately, neither Sam nor Donald could be on the call with me. Um, and uh, Bobby, uh, well, there's no other easy way to say it. Bobby isn't really super great with computers so he didn't want to use the usual interface that we do for our conference calls he wanted me to do it a little bit differently just to dial his phone and like conference him together into our conference call and stuff like that and so I, I did all that and i had a 30 minute conversation with bobby hurley it was great it was so good that after it was done i was like guys you know we should divide we shouldn't do this on one podcast we'll divide it up we'll have part one and part two of the great bobby hurley interview and then i went to listen to my recording of it and it didn't work I didn't record a single second of it because the like the website and Jason and I screwed up. So I didn't get the Bobby Hurley. I got the Bobby Hurley interview, but I can't play it for any of you. <laughs> but Bobby's a great guy. He's a great guy. I called him back and I said, I said, my recording didn't work. And he said, no problem. We'll do it again sometime. Now, we're probably not going to do it again until November because he's busy. But that's November of what year that we're going to do it. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Thank you. Thank you. <laughs> Hey, when this podcast is is like, you know, seven years old, we're going to be like, hey, guys, remember like three years ago when we had that Bobby Hurley interview, but we got him back. Like, finally, it's going to be one of those like it's like it's like a cliffhanger that it's one of our first cliffhangers that we've ever had on this show. So stay tuned to the Duke Basketball Report podcast as long as it is still in circulation, because someday <laughs> you might get to hear Bobby Hurley. Uh, well, with that. With that excessively long introduction, we actually have a lot to talk about today. Uh, it's been a couple weeks since we talked about Duke football, so we will check in with them at the end. They are coming off a an interesting but but helpful win at Georgia Tech yesterday. However, it is mid-October, guys, which means basketball season is right around the corner. So I want to briefly go around and discuss a little bit of basketball news. And I wanted to start with the biggest news of this week for Duke basketball, which is that they got a verbal commitment from senior combo guard, I guess, forward Wendell Moore. Um, and I wanted to throw it to Jason first to talk about it because this is Duke's first commitment in the class of 2019. I know there had been a lot of chatter around these parts. Pro may I don't think really on our show, but but certainly on the the places on the internet that the three of us frequent about Duke's general lack of recruiting success in the 2019 class. So Duke finally secures a commitment. Jason, I want you to tell me what you know about Wendell Moore. Should what what should Duke fans be excited about for the first member of the class of 2019? Well, I mean, the, the thing to be most excited about is that he was considering Duke, UNC, NC State, and Wake Forest. I mean, like <laughs> this is a guy who injected himself fully into the North Carolina ACC rivalry. Those were his four finalists, and it's been a while since I recall a guy who was like, "Yeah, my four finalists are Duke, 
UNC, NC State, and Wake Forest. I mean, it's, it's, think it's some, about that. It's, it's, it's classic, like, ACC Big Four. I mean, this is, this is like something that would have happened in the 60s or the 70s, but not in the 2000 teens, and, right? And Jason, I think his fifth team that he chopped off the list like a couple weeks ago was South Carolina. So he really wasn't going anywhere. He was going well, to he stay somewhere. He certainly didn't want to want to go play for any any ACC defectors. That would be ridiculous. Correct. Correct. Yeah. So, so Wendell Moore was a Duke fan growing up. In fact, um, you know, I haven't been in his bedroom, but supposedly there are Duke posters on the wall in his bedroom. Um, I don't know if he wears Duke pajamas, but this is a guy who was a Duke fan. So we kind of had to get him. I mean, <laughs> it wasn't a huge surprise that Duke ended up landing him. Um, uh, let me tell you a little bit about him as a player. <clears throat> Wendell Moore is, um, he's 6'5", um, but he has a 6'11 reach. And um, length has become so valuable and, and so sought after in today's game because of that reach, because of his length, um, and because he's got really excellent athleticism and foot speed. Wendell Moore is capable of guarding almost any position on the floor. Certainly one, two, three, and four. He can guard any of those positions. Um, he's And he's an excellent defender, a really good defender, um, really good dribbling and passing skills as well. He is not a great long-distance shooter. Um, really good slasher, has a nice pull-up jump shot, and he can score. And he's a really excellent free-throw shooter. If you look at um, his his st- stats from AAU games, you know, high-level, um, top-tier AAU games, he, he shoots about 85% from the free-throw line. So a lot of people say the fact that he's got a, a, an excellent free-throw stroke, he has good form on his jump shot, they think that he can become a really good um, three-point shooter someday. But he's not – a lot of folks, like, not just – Duke fans, but recruiting analysts, NBA draft analysts, folks are comparing him to Justice Winslow. So I want to be clear that Wendell Moore does not have the body of Justice Winslow. Justice Winslow looks like he was cut, uh, uh, you know, from a a Greek god statue. Um, And Wendell Moore isn't that physical. He isn't that imposing. But there are a lot of other similarities to Justice's game. Um, as I mentioned, Wendell Moore is, a, is considered a great defender who can defend multiple positions. Um, he, he's a very good, Wendell Moore is a very good ball handler, probably a better ball handler than Justice Winslow. But like Justice Winslow, he's a very good passer. He's someone who makes the teammates around him better. Um, and he's not a great three-point shooter. Um, good slasher, you know, he can score, but he's not a great three-point shooter. And, and so... That's why those descriptions, I think, are why a lot of people see, you know, a similar player to Justice Winslow here. Um, but I want to be clear about one other thing, which is that unlike Justice Winslow, who, who was a clear one-and-done player, Wendell Moore, you know, he isn't ranked quite as high as Justice was, perhaps because he's not quite the same physical specimen. And, and a lot of folks think that he'll be at Duke for more than one year. This is a guy who's ranked, he's like in the upper teens, you know, maybe low 20s in most of the, uh, most of the rankings. That's not exactly <clears throat> automatic one and done territory. He could be one and done. He could, you know, have a really great freshman season. If he has freshman season the way Justice Winslow did, I would expect him to leave after one year. But most of the experts seem to think he'll be around for more than one season even though that length I talked about, 6'11 reach on a 6'5 body, uh, is going to be very appealing to the NBA. Uh, guys, I could get into a lot more about one and done, and, and um, there's been a lot of talk about whether Duke is changing some of its recruiting profile, and I'm happy to talk about that. But for the moment, I want to toss it back to you guys. Donald, let me ask you, any thoughts on Duke getting um, uh, you know, our first member of the 2019 recruiting class? 
Yeah, I, I like I agree with a lot of what you said. Uh, a couple things that I would note, you know, I haven't seen as much tape of him as you have. Uh, from what I've seen, he he has really good athleticism, and I think that's the the key foundation of his game. He and he does everything really good. He's not great at anything, in my opinion, but he can you know he can slash. He he has a nice mid range game. You know, he can shoot from the perimeter. He's not is probably not the best part of his game, but he can you know shoot from beyond the arc. He's not going to do it all the time. But he has that ability to, you know, stretch a defense with that shot. He can drive, he can pass, and I kind of like how nice his all-around game is. I think the areas of probably where he can work on a little bit is his defense and his rebounding. Uh, I think that when you're six six, you're going to be playing those tweener, you know, small forwards, uh, and and I think he's going to have to be able to play the two, three, and maybe even the four at times, just based on how we play with our with our personnel. But that's something that's really going to get him to start at the collegiate level uh, and prepare him for the NBA. Uh, Jason, you mentioned that he could be here a couple of years, and and I agree with you. I think he his game is suited that over the course of a couple of years, he's going to be a really great player. But I, I couldn't help but note that Coach K said that he can be a one-and-done player, and I see a lot of those tools that he that a one-and-done player would possess in this in his game. Next year, if he can make all those areas great, that's really going to make us a great basketball team. And I think that is the most important thing is not only is he good, but he has room to grow and he has a, his upside is incredible to me. Yeah. I'm, I'm curious about that ranking. We know that, that guys who commit to Duke and, and other top programs sometimes get a little bump in the, in the recruiting visibility. And as you guys said, he's sort of right on the cusp of, of being one of those really elite, definite one and done guys, but isn't definitely there yet. Um, I think he's ranked somewhere in the low twenties by the two four seven composite. So he's he's certainly not a a Justice Winslow or a, or a Brandon Ingram, any any of those type guys. But there's no reason to think that he couldn't propel himself during his senior year of high school or during his freshman year of college. That would be great into that upper echelon. Um, you know, right now he's, he's right on sort of that cusp of, of definitely being a consensus high school, all American. So I'm excited that the Duke has a commit who, who is a, a five-star type guy who could end up staying multiple years. We, we started doing this program the year that Grayson Allen came in and there wasn't a ton of hype about him because he came in with such a talented group, uh, including justice Winslow and Jolly Okafor and Tyus Jones. And he managed to stay four years and be outstanding at times for Duke across those four years. So perhaps Wendell Moore is going to, is going to fill that as well. And, and going all the way back to what Jason said at the beginning, honestly, I think the most exciting part is that Duke is, is going head to head with, with, the other schools in North Carolina and beating them out for local kids. And, and I think that that's great. We talked about that when Brandon Ingram committed and, and it's happening again here with Wendell Moore. So that's really exciting. And I'm, I'm curious to see uh, coming down the pike as far as Duke recruiting Duke has uh, Vernon Carey, I believe coming in for countdown to craziness. It's his official visit this coming weekend. So Duke's going to be, you know, turning up the, the recruiting heat, hopefully here in the near future. That's, Carry for those who aren't following, I think is is Duke's biggest uh, physically and and recruiting ranking wise. Duke's biggest recruit um, for this coming year, the the guy I think that they really really want to hone in on and and get to commit because he's he's a star in that same in that same mold as some of those guys we've talked about. So uh, we'll we'll see if uh, if Duke's and, able and, to impress him this weekend. And one of the things to love about Wendell Moore is the moment he committed. 
um, he announced, he said, I've been working on getting Vernon Carey, Isaiah Stewart, and Matthew Hurt, which who are the three, they're all like in the top five, top six. Um, they're three stud, stud, big men, power forward centers who Duke has been after. We've been pursuing them. I, I think you're right that Carey is the one most likely to come to Duke and the one who seems like he's the focus of what the staff is looking at. But believe me, they, they would love Stewart or Hurt as well. But immediately upon committing, Wendell Moore said, yeah, I've been talking to Vernon Carey, Matthew Hurt, and Isaiah Stewart. I'm going to bring these guys to Duke with me. Um, and you got to love it when when the kid is uh, is immediately turning into your best recruit. Yeah, obviously. It, we've seen it at times, too. Like, you know, the last few years, the the infamous text chain uh, from last year that got, you know, uh, all four guys to commit uh, to Duke. And they were just talking to each other. I like when people commit and they all of a sudden become recruiters for the school. I, it, it makes you know that they're dialed in and they want to play with the best players and, and really make a team great. So I, I really enjoy that. Let's hope it happens. Yeah, and so speaking of that, Countdown to Craziness is this week. Basketball season is sort of upon us. The So Duke's going to play their, their blue-white exhibition game per tradition this Friday night. They'll also have the dunk contest and all of the other shenanigans that go on nowadays at Countdown. I'll be there uh, in the student section, I believe, uh, at the game, at the at the event, so to say. And then Duke gets rolling with exhibition games, their traditional two exhibition games, the following week. So I wanted to ask you guys if you're going to, you know, we'll, we'll tune in to Countdown on Friday. Maybe if there's something you're looking for, if you want to see, or, or if you just want it to be to be a fun night for Duke. Donald, uh, th- this will be our first time getting to see Trey Jones and Cam Reddish in Duke uniforms, right? Yeah, and you know what? This is what Countdown to Craziness is to me. It's, it's the introduction to a basketball team. Um, you know, we were able, we we're fortunate to see uh, this team play in Canada. That's not something you get to see every year with them playing overseas. That's something that you're only going to see every few years. But So this is a little bit different. But Countdown to Craziness, for all intents and purposes, is the introduction to a basketball team. So I'm looking to see what everyone can do, what kind of lineups we see, you know, how Cam Reddish can play, how Trey Jones can play, because we haven't seen them play yet, uh, at least in the Duke uniform. Uh, so it will be interesting to see that. But really, this is a chance for all of us to get to know the players. And I love the fun way that they do it through the introductions. Um, you know, what introductions they come out to, what songs they come out to, wh- who can dance, who can't. Like, you get a little bit of the personality of these players because that's what makes you – what what makes fans endear themselves to some of these players. And when you're meeting them for the first time, we, we're seeing the videos of them in practice. They're obviously working hard and trying to get better every day. But now we're going to get a chance to kind of see their personalities come out a little bit um, and, and say, hey, this is me, Trey Jones, the person, not necessarily the player. Um, and, and I like, I always like that about Countdown to Craziness, and that's really what I'm most looking forward to on Friday when we tune in. Obviously, the basketball is going to be something we're going to be watching uh, intently, but how do these guys play? How do these guys have fun with each other? Because that's what's going to make this team gel, and that's really the intangibles that we're going to need going forward. All right, quick, before I throw it to Jason, Donald, your prediction over under 0.5 players who come out to songs that aren't hip-hop music? Um, over. <laughs> All right. Point 0.5? So, Sam, you're saying there will be zero. Will there be zero or one players who don't come out to hip-hop music? Correct. <laughs> right. that's, that's what I wonder. 
Um, Alex I, O'Connell's still on the team, so that he's my best bet. Isn't Alex O'Connell from from Atlanta? That doesn't yeah, mean like, Atlanta has, has non hip hop music, man. <laughs> I, is Alex O'Connell going to come out to widespread panic? Uh, I don't know. He might come out to every time we touch because Ooh, that's oh, that's a good point. Always X Factor. Someone's going to come out to it. Over. Uh, <laughs> All right. Jack, uh, what about Jack White? Wait, wait. Jack, Jack White. Jack White is not. Is Jack White a hip hop fan? <laughs> we don't know. We don't know. He's Australian. That, this is a That's good question because, you know, if you had asked this like an hour ago, I would have gone back to last year's introduction to see what some of these guys had done. See, I don't want you doing research here. No, that That's was not how this works. Jason, Jason, your, your first your guess about over under 0.5 players who come out to hip hop or who come out to not hip hop. And then please follow with what you will be watching for at Countdown. Uh, so I'm going to go. I'm going to take the over. I'm going to take the over. Uh, there there will be a non-hip-hop. In fact, if you give me 1.5, I would have yeah. taken the over. I think you may have as many as two players come out to non-hip-hop. Two? So how how about that for the bowl? Uh, yeah. You have, <laughs> I'm you bringing have, it there. Do you have any follow-up guesses as to as to genres or identities of player who, who will buck the trend? I, I don't, but I, I would think that one of Jack White or Antonio Vrankovic um, probably might might not be a diehard hip hop fan. All right, we'll see. It's possible. I, you know, we'll, we'll find out. Like Donald, I did not do the research. Although I agree that at Countdown to Craziest, one of the most important things is to see who dances well in the intros. I, I think that you learn a lot about the season based on how well the guys dance during their intros in Countdown to Craziness. No, not really. I'm kidding. <laughs> no, because I, I I think you do. I I feel like it's important. Although, you know. Uh, Chase Jeter transferred after successfully completing the bottle flip in a previous countdown to craziness. So I remember um, that. I remember a, that. Yeah. There, there's a there's a lot that we think we can glean from this night, and a lot that we cannot. Uh, is there anything? Is there anything that you're really looking for uh, in the game or in the dunk contest or any of that? So yes, the things I am looking for, as previously mentioned, everyone wants to see Trey Jones and Cam Reddish. But I want to point out that the reason we really want to see Trey Jones and Cam Reddish is that. These are the guys that I suspect will be running the offense this season. I think the ball will mostly be in Trey Jones's hand, but when it's not in his hands, it'll be in Cam Reddish's hands. Um, uh, also, R.J. Barrett, but but I think the primary, you know, the guys who primarily take the point guard role will be Trey Jones and Cam Reddish. So I'm really eager to see the two of them, how they initiate the offense, um, you know, how they interact with their teammates in terms of passing and, and finding creative passing angles and things like that. Um, I, I'm, I'm obviously going to be looking at who is taking and hitting three-pointers. Um, uh, everyone, uh, I, you know, I'm not dropping any surprise bombshell to say that hitting threes is considered this team's primary weakness. And uh, and, and it's something that, you know, we're going to have to do. Otherwise, the opponents are going to keep a foot in the, the lane at all times and, and try to, you know, stop us from, from getting anything close to the basket because we look like we're ridiculously good at, at slashing and going to the hoop. Um, and then the other thing I'm looking for is on the other end of the floor on defense, uh, even though I guess because we're playing ourselves, we will always be playing defense. So on both ends of the floor, I want to see how much man-to-man we play and how much zone we play. Um, because, and then how well they play the man-to-man. Um, you, I've heard there, there's been talk that this team is better prepared and more capable of playing high-level defense, high-level man-to-man defense. Than, than the past couple um, uh, Duke teams full of one and done uh, players. 
So I will really be looking to see if these guys seem like they they understand playing good help man-to-man defense. Um, that I think could be a really important thing for Duke this year. Um, you know, last year we had to play zone almost the whole time. Now, at, at times we were really good at zone defense. Um, and, and I'm not saying that zone defense is a terrible, awful thing, but you'd like for us to be able to do both. And, and so I'm going to be looking to see how much zone we're able to play. And then the last thing is at some point Zion Williamson is going to put on a show. And I love the Zion show. So I'll be looking for that. Wait, okay. Over under 0.5 number of rims Zion Williamson breaks. I'll go under. I think that they're. I think that Duke is prepared for Zion to assault the rims. Do over under Zion slam dunks in the scrimmage, and I'll I'll take four or three point five. Three point five is my number. Sam, I'll give you the over. Over under three point five Zion Williamson dunks in the scrimmage. I'm going over, and mostly I'm just going to be waiting to for the for the dunk contest because I I think it's going to be a phenomenal phenomenal show by Zion yes. Williamson. Yeah, Jason. Uh, both of you guys really uh, hit on hit on a lot of good stuff. I am I am most excited to see Trey Jones and Cam Reddish, but uh, really for me personally, it's my it's my first time standing in the grad student section behind the basket. So that's gonna be that's gonna be really cool, and I'm looking forward to it. Even though I have so uh, final exams, I'm so jealous. So <laughs> I have I do have final exams on Thursday, Friday, and Saturday mornings. So uh, that that's kind of a bummer, but. But I'll be uh, I'll be at the game and I'll be I'll be anxiously watching uh, to see how the new team competes together, and uh, so that that's going to be a great time. Uh, looking forward looking forward to seeing live Duke basketball, even if it's not against a, a real opponent, it's just against ourselves here uh, in in mid October. I'll tell you this: I will guarantee you, Duke will come out on the positive end of the scoreboard in this game. Duke will win this game. Unfortunately, Duke will also lose. (laughs) (laughs) This episode of the Duke Basketball Report podcast is brought to you by Dominate Test Prep, founded by Duke alum Brett Etheridge. Dominate Test Prep provides online courses for the GMAT and GRE that are flexible and affordable, but most importantly, teach Brett's proven test-taking strategies and produce high scores on test day. If you or someone you know is looking to get into a top school, let a guy who bleeds Duke Blue help. You can learn more at dominatetestprep.com and use the coupon code GODEVILS to save 10% off any course package. So guys, we've done a little bit of, of Duke basketball, as we know that the season gets underway here soon, but Duke is is in the throes of football season. We missed a couple weeks ago talking about the Virginia Tech game in Durham, which was fun personally because we had a great tailgate, but ultimately once the game got started, Duke seemed flat-footed uh, against the Hokies. Then they went on a bye week and came back uh, for the for the Georgia Tech game this week. Georgia Tech, al- always an interesting opponent for any team, but but for the Blue Devils, it seems like they have sometimes Duke has their struggles with uh, containing the triple option threat, Paul Johnson's signature offensive style. Uh, but Duke managed to hang on yesterday against Georgia Tech, mainly on the backs of three consecutive fumbles by Georgia Tech in the third quarter, all of which led to Duke touchdowns. I want to go to Jason first uh, and and ask you, Jason, 
what did you like about this game? What did you see? Um, and, and feel free to comment also on the way that Duke was able to rebound from that Virginia Tech game and use the and use the bye week to maybe get more of the guys healthy. Daniel Jones looked a lot stronger. What is it? What is it that you saw in this game against Georgia Tech? Well, so so I'll start really really fast with the Virginia Tech comment. Um, uh, the only thing I would say about that Virginia Tech game um, is th- th- there's there's a concept in football called the 50-50 ball. You know, when a quarterback kind of just tosses it up, and the run and the uh, wide receiver and the corner and the uh, defensive back are are both in position to make a play. It's a 50-50 ball, and they're called 50-50 balls because half the time you complete them and half the time you don't. Virginia Tech was 100% on 50-50 balls against against Duke. And that's why Virginia Tech won that game. And it was just crazy to watch. So I, I was I was really concerned that Duke might suffer a, a downturn after that, you know, a very dispiriting loss to Virginia Tech. Um, I, you know, it felt like maybe this season was going to go the way last season did, starting out 4-0, playing a, a highly touted, really prominent opponent um, at home. Uh, last year it was Miami. This year it's Virginia Tech. And in both cases, we got walloped. We got beat fairly soundly. It was not a very competitive game into the fourth quarter. Um, and last year, as uh, as we all know, Duke went on a six-game losing streak. And so everyone was like, oh, great. Here comes the losing streak. And and let me tell you, going into that Georgia Tech game, uh, you know, this a lot of the smart money was on Georgia Tech. Georgia Tech had been absolutely incredible. They were terrible early in the season. The past few weeks, Georgia Tech had been a legit, fabulous, really good team. I, I, I'm sure you guys were aware of it, but Georgia Tech had scored 129 points in their previous two games, almost 65 points a game in their past two games. Uh, this is a Georgia Tech team that came into this game leading the nation with the most runs of more than 20 yards. I mean, Tech does that triple option, and if you can't figure out who's got the ball, suddenly you look up and that guy's 20 yards down the field. Again, coming into this game, Georgia Tech led the nation in the most number of runs for more than 20 yards. But I'll tell you something interesting. Coming into this game, Duke's defense led the nation with the least number of 20-yard runs allowed. We'd only given up three 20-yard runs all season. This is a case of an irresistible force versus an immovable object. Jason, Jason, this would have been been great if we did a preview show. Uh, Yeah. Just fantastic coverage here. Thank you so much. Uh, so uh, it was Georgia Tech's, we're going to run it down your throat versus Duke's, we're not going to let you run it down our throat. And guess what? Duke won the battle. Georgia Tech had only one run of 20 yards. Um, they they tried to ground it out in the ground. Um, they had 229 yards rushing. And that sounds like a lot. Ordinarily, you go, wow, 229. But this is a Tech team that averages 373 yards rushing. So they were 150 yards under their average. It took them 61 rushes to get to 229. So they only averaged less than four yards per carry. And it's a tech team that usually averages close to seven yards per carry on the season. So I thought our defense was absolutely incredible. We only give up 14 points to Georgia Tech. Um, As I mentioned, they just kept on, kept on, kept on running it. kept on thinking they were going to break something open, and they couldn't. And, And then on offense, I mean, look, we took advantage. They, they put the ball on the turf a few times, and we immediately put it in the end zone. Um, we scored three TDs in like a minute and a half in the third quarter. Um, and and I, really, I really liked the way Daniel Jones moved the ball around. He had six different guys catch multiple receptions. 
Um, three different guys caught TD passes. I thought Deion Jackson had a really nice game. You know, with Britton Brown out, Deion Jackson had to carry the load at running back. And he, he almost rushed for 100 yards. Um, and he was running really hard. There were a number of plays where it felt like he was moving the pile. Um, you know, it wasn't a great game on offense. You know, we have to thank Georgia Tech for those turnovers. Um, I think it could have been a really, really close, you know, you know, touch and go game without those turnovers. Um, uh, but our, our defense was was truly outstanding. And, and the remarkable thing to me, and I'll wrap it up and let you guys say some stuff. The remarkable thing to me about our defense is that we're doing this. We're, we're you know, we appear to be one of the better defenses in the country, despite just a rash of injuries. They just keep on happening. And you keep on having guys, you know, uh, you know, redshirt freshmen and stuff like that have to step into major roles on defense. And they, they just keep being able to play. And, and I, I hearken back to a comment I remember several years ago when Coach Cutcliffe first came to Duke. Um, and he said that one of the biggest things that needed to be changed about the program, one of the biggest things that needed to be improved was our depth. That, that you know, lots of time Duke had decent or good starters. But then once you got to our depth, we didn't have any depth really because Duke hadn't recruited well enough to have good guys on the second string or even the third string who then become the first and second string when guys get hurt or when you need certain situations. And, and Cut has done a great job recruiting lately, and you're seeing real, legit, good depth from this team. And it's so important. Duke is 5-1, and one, I believe, because we have good depth this year, and that's a credit to the coaching staff. All right, enough of that. Donald. Tell me what you loved about that Georgia Tech game. Did I say everything? Sorry. <laughs> no, you you did great. And and uh, one quick comment about the Virginia Tech game. And we talked before that game about how that was supposed to be a statement game. And it, I just didn't think we made a good statement. You know, that was a chance to beat a good team and show the country that we were to be you know respected. And uh, I think that we felt that we fell flat on. You know, that's fine. You know, we, we have those moments where we, we have a test. You're going to fail a test, but it's how you bounce back. And like you said, this is one of those difficult games. And I'm glad that we had a bye week to get, you know, everything together, get everybody healthy and to really hone in on uh, the triple option that uh, Georgia Tech possesses. So uh, one thing I will say that and we talked about this uh, when we were chatting yesterday during the game is that this game was chippy as hell. Um, and there was a lot of penalties. Uh, not necessarily on our side. We, you know, we mostly kept our composure. There were a couple moments where we were lashing out, and you, you know, we had guys having to keep others in check. But Georgia Tech was a chippy team yesterday. I don't know what was going on, but that was something. The refs were not good at all. They missed a lot of key calls. Um, luckily, we somehow took care of all that by uh, those three straight Georgia Tech possessions, including, um, you know, one on a kickoff uh, return. Uh, causing fumbles and getting the ball back and turning that into 21 points. So there's your ball game guys stepped up when we needed. We definitely have work to do on both sides of the ball. Um, I, for some reason, I feel like Daniel Jones, he started out really sluggish. He worked his way into having a pretty good game, but he hasn't looked as sharp since he came back from the clavicle injury. I, I think that that is the reason why um, I don't think it's really a cause for concern, but I think that's something if we're going to play, you know, we have Clemson and Miami, you know, coming up down down the road a little bit. Um, well, those better teams, we need everybody to be clicking um, and playing well. Um, so, you know, wherever we have areas that need to be improved, this is the time to improve them. Um, and I think we we handle ourselves very well um, on the field against Georgia Tech. We were resilient. Um, and even, you know, in that third quarter, you know, where the defense just took over, 
that's what you want to see from a football team. So, uh, and that's what I, why I think we're five and one. We're, we're doing really well, and we just got to keep going. Yeah, it, it feels almost disappointing that Duke is just five and one at this point after mm-hmm. the way that they played in September, you know, prior to Virginia Tech. I, I was I was disappointed in, in the outcome of that game. I thought that it was it was cool that, that Daniel Jones was back on the field. I think we found out that day that he was starting, um, you know, coming back from his injury, but he didn't fully look like he was ready uh, to take the reins again. He looked in better shape, especially right at the beginning of the game yesterday. The the first drive was was quick, uh, quick plays, and and they came down the field and scored immediately, and it seemed like, well, Duke is going to be back. And then it was really a struggle yesterday to to get things going against Georgia Tech. The, the defense played pretty well in the first half, but the offense uh, kept sputtering out, kept, um, kept not being able to move the ball. Jones missed a few passes. Donald, like you mentioned, it was it was chippy out there that guys were guys were getting getting pretty heated. One Georgia Tech player got tossed out of the game for mm-hmm. for throwing well, punches. By the, way, by the way, I want to note that the Georgia Tech defense, Georgia Tech is not known for being a good defensive team. So yeah. our offensive struggles were against a team that's not a very good defensive team. And and it was yeah, that that's sort of that's sort of the theme here is that it was a it was a strange game for Duke. Like Jason mentioned, Britton Brown was out. So Deion Jackson took the entire running load. Daniel Jones obviously runs a little bit, but as far as guys that he hands off to, Deion Jackson was the only one who who took handoffs in this game, and he played pretty well. Not not amazing, but but Duke usually relies on a stable of running backs. They love they love that terminology, and they love being able to hand it off to two or three or four different guys. It was just Jackson yesterday against Georgia Tech. Um, so that. The offense was 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 kind of just jointed, and then the other thing that I thought was concerning was the was the discipline. So Duke Duke had a handful of uh, of penalties. They they coughed up the ball four times on fumbles. They recovered two of them, but they gave up. They they lost two fumbles. So uh, un, uncharacteristically sloppy, I would say, from the Blue Devils relative to how they looked in the first month of the season. So hopefully, some of that gets cleaned up as as they move forward. But overall, Duke is five and one. They look to be in good shape as far as going to a bowl game. They only have to win one more the rest of the season. Um, and unfortunately, the the Coastal Division could be could be challenging for Duke to win, given the loss against Virginia Tech, and then Virginia Tech's subsequent eking out of a win yesterday in Chapel Hill. Virginia Tech is still a, appears to be in the driver's seat for the Coastal Division because Duke has to has to play uh, Clemson later in the season. So. But not that I'm saying that Duke can't beat Clemson, but that's going to be a tough road game for the Blue Devils to win. And uh, meanwhile, Virginia is still undefeated in conference after after a big win over Miami. Got Jason, like, what is going on in in the Coastal Division? Did you get to watch any of the other games yesterday, either that that Virginia Tech Chapel Hill game or the or the Virginia Miami game? Did any of that stand out I, to you? I watched them both. I was you know flipping back and forth. So first of all, just. How delicious, how, how tasty must be the tears of the Carolina fans after the way they lost that game to Virginia Tech. Folks, if you did not see this, this is so great. So Carolina's leading by five. There are, there's six minutes left in the game, and they complete an 80-yard pass, Carolina does. They are down on the Virginia Tech two-yard line, leading by five with six minutes left. First and goal from the two. Now, you think we're going to punch it in here and, and we're going to go up 12 and, and the game is over. We're going to win. So from the two, Carolina proceeds to fumble the ball, 
Virginia Tech then drives 98 yards, the entire length of the field, and they score the winning touchdown. I mentioned there were six minutes left. Their drive took six minutes or five minutes and 30 seconds or so. They literally, Virginia Tech literally runs out virtually the entire clock, scores the winning touchdown, and then Carolina has no time left to try and come back one more time. So Virginia Tech won that game. But I mean, that is truly snatching defeat from the jaws of victory. So props, Carolina, way to go. <laughs> and then that other game, wow, I, I didn't realize Virginia was going to be as stout defensively as they were against Miami. Um, they, they were very impressive. And, and I guess we're going to get into a Virginia preview in a minute. Donald, you should really lead that because I know you're a big Miami fan, so I'm sure you watched that. That surprise, it was very surprising that, that Virginia hung with Miami as well as they did and that Virginia won that game. But I, I want to talk about two things really, really quick. One is the end of that Virginia-Miami game. Um, uh, Sam, you were talking about discipline and, and how uh, Duke, Duke showed some lack of discipline and made some you know, mental mistakes <clears throat> in, in the game. The end of the Miami-Virginia game was the worst mental mistakes I think you can possibly see. Miami, um, Miami had stopped Virginia and was going to get the ball back with a chance to win the game with around two minutes left. They'd stopped them on third down, and a Miami player took a cheap shot at, at a Virginia player. Um, I don't know what preceded it. Maybe, you know, there was some extra pushing, whatever that went on in, before it. But, but this Miami guy committed a clear personal foul and gave Virginia an extra first down when they shouldn't have had one, and Virginia was able to uh, effectively run out the clock because of that i mean that's well, just well no there's there was that one um since you're bringing up old stuff there was that there, one there was, and then there was roughing the kicker they were roughing the kicker with 30 seconds left it would have you know we miami would have gotten the ball back with 30 seconds left down six yep. um they had a roughing the kicker call of which the referee which funny story referee on on a play earlier in the game got basically tackled by four players um, and appeared to be dazed uh, and confused because he was not sharp the rest of the game. But on that call, he gave the points and said that the personal foul would be assessed on the kickoff. And then, like, he thought it was an extra point. He thought it was an extra point. He didn't realize it was a, he forgot that it was a field goal. Right. And, and then he, like, a minute later was like, oh, yeah, my bad. Uh, they have the ball, points wiped off the board, and that was the ball game. Uh, but yeah, two real key. Uh, mental errors uh, and just losing your composure at the end of the game. So uh, I, I'm glad we're talking about, I mentioned I had two things. Um, I, I'm glad we're talking about the mental errors because I wanted to go back to the Duke game. We we're all over the place and it's, it's my fault and I apologize. I want to go back to the Duke game because I want to talk about some very specific mental errors in the Duke game. Guys, TJ Ramming is a senior. He has been in the program for a long time. He is, he is widely considered the leader of our receiving core. He's, you know, almost certainly our best wide receiver. And again, he's a senior. TJ Ramming, on two occasions, did stuff that you're just like, has he lost his brain? Has he gone insane? At one point, he's fielding a punt because he's our punt returner. And he's not the best punt returner. He makes bad decisions on punt returns. I'm just going to say it. I, lo I love you, TJ. I hope you come and be a guest on the on the podcast someday. But, dude, what were you thinking on that punt return? The ball bounces at, like, the 12. Like, he shouldn't have ever let it bounce. He does that a lot. He lets balls bounce when he should just field them and fair catch them. He sort of watches it bounce a couple times. And then at the one-yard line, as TJ's running backwards, he decides, now I'm going to field the ball. And he runs into the end zone 
And I thought he was going to tackle for a safety. He was able to bring it out to about the six or so, but it was like, what are you doing? I don't know why he picked up the ball. It was inexplicable. And then later in the game, in the third quarter, TJ catches the ball down the sidelines. He's at about the four or the five yard line. And he, he reaches out to go for the pylon. He was nowhere close to the pylon. He was like a good three yards from the pylon. I mean, and, and he like flung the ball forward. I mean, luckily he had stepped out of bounds. Very luckily, because otherwise it's a fumble and, and we turn the ball over. TJ, protect the football. Dude, you can't. I know you want to get the touchdown. Just go out of bounds. Don't get, don't give up the football on the two-yard line, and don't field a punt at the one and run it into the end zone. Oh my god! Yeah, the, I, I don't the, know what. what the was best he part about the best part about that about him him reaching out at the at the three or whatever. The announcers on the game were like. Well, TJ Ramming really shouldn't be doing that. He's not a very big guy, and it's not so. It's not like he has a ton of reach, uh, which, which yeah, was the was the moment of comedy in an otherwise weird performance. That, that's what I said, Jason. You're you're highlighting specifically what I was sort of saying generally about how this was this was an uneven and sloppy game for Duke. They're they're kind of lucky to make it out of Georgia Tech with the victory, given that that all of the points they needed to win the game were scored off of Georgia Tech turnovers and on fumbles, which we know don't like fumble recoveries aren't aren't related to any sort of skill. It's it's just kind of dumb luck if you happen to be next to the ball when it gets fumbled. So Duke's Duke's winning of this game was mostly thanks to to some of that dumb luck and and hopefully it's a lot of good tape for them to go and review. The thing with the punt return was weird because it looked like it looked like Ramming lost the ball in the sun and then by the time he recovered and, and found out where it was, it's like he forgot that he was at the, the two-yard line or, or wherever it was that he finally went back and touched the ball. So, yeah, all of that was was really strange for Duke. And I imagine that Coach Cutcliffe is going to be all over him this week in practice to make sure that, that they clean up some of those mental errors. Donald, did you have anything you wanted to add about about Virginia and and the game coming up this weekend? Duke is back at home against Virginia, who, as we mentioned, just knocked off Miami. Do you think that there's a key for this game uh, for Duke, given that you just saw Virginia knock off a really good uh, Miami team this past weekend? Yeah, the funny thing about this game is that you know, from this is my Miami hat on right now, ladies and gentlemen. Miami always plays like trash at Virginia for some reason. Every two years, they go down to Virginia and they either lose or they squeak by with a win, but it's a very ugly game. And I think it's just because of how Virginia gets up for this game. They're not going to wow you with passing. They're not going to wow you with rushing. They didn't have a lot of yards against Virginia, or I'm sorry, against Miami. You know, Bryce Perkins, they talked about him during the broadcast about how he's having a stellar game for him. He went 12 for 21 for 92 yards in three interceptions. He didn't throw a touchdown. His QBR rating was 9.8. So that's not a good game. But for some reason, it was the defense. The defense just decided that that last night was their night, and they were going to make an example of the Miami offense and really shut them down. They had three turnovers of their own. Uh, um, and I think that is where we need to hone in. A lot of the balls that were um, that were intercepted by, the, uh, by Virginia – last night for Miami were balls that were just thrown up in the air in the hopes that someone 
on the Miami sideline or Miami team would catch it. And that's not a good way to play. And I think sometimes Daniel Jones, when he tosses the ball, the good thing about Daniel Jones is when he tosses the ball and he's trying to go deep, he's trying to go deep. Usually he gets beat, you know, he doesn't get beat because he underthrew it. He overthrows his receiver and, and really puts it in a position where if the receiver can't make the play, nobody's making it. When we make these plays, when we have these 50-50 balls that Jason talked about against Virginia Tech, we have to make sure that we get these balls because Virginia was really good last night at going in at those balls. When those balls were kind of toss-up balls, they were going to get them, and they wanted it more. They wanted the, the football more, and they were they were getting the football. So I think that is the key to this game. The main key for us, the mistakes that we made against Georgia Tech, we just need to settle down make our throws, make sure we execute our plays because I think there is a way for us to get through on offense uh, with the rushing game. Um, hopefully Britton Brown is, is healthy. That would help, you know, but Deion Jackson, I think had a, you know, a pretty good game yesterday and I have full confidence that he would be able to move the, move the sticks and move the ball down the field. But when we air it out, we cannot make mistakes. We can't have lazy throws. We can't have lazy route running because Virginia is at least decent enough that they will expose um, expose us on that account. They will make us pay for it. So if we can settle down and play, especially in the passing game, if we can make it where we are dictating the offense of the, 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 the momentum of the game, we're going to win against Virginia, but it's not going to be easy. They're going to have to slow down and they're going to have to make their plays and execute. The, the experts, the experts say that Duke should be a favorite in this game. Um, uh, ESPN's football power index thing gives Duke a 78% chance of winning the matchup with Virginia. And I really, I like playing Virginia right after we play Georgia Tech because um, even though Virginia does not run the triple option, Bryce Perkins, their quarterback, loves to carry the ball. Um, uh, yeah, he's their, he's their second leading rusher and has almost as many rushing attempts as their leading rusher, Jordan Ellis. Um, so I, I think, you know, Duke, Duke had the key on the quarterback um, running the ball against Georgia Tech because Georgia Tech's quarterbacks run the ball a tremendous amount of the time, and, and we're going to have to do that again against Virginia. Virginia's not – Bryce Perkins is not a great passer. Not a, they're not a – you know, they, they only average maybe 200 yards passing, um, which is not a ton. And, uh, you know, the key for Virginia on offense is going to be uh, how well Perkins is able to, to sort of fool you with his running. Um, and I like Duke to be able to stop that. But but I I, I, I I sort of agree with Donald saying it, it's probably going to be a defensive battle. You know, if either team can get to mid-20s, they're probably going to win this game. Yeah, and, and Duke suffered more injuries this week against Georgia Tech, specifically Edgar Serenord, the one of their Duke's key defensive linemen, is out for the season. So um, it's going to make it a little bit harder for Duke to contain on defense. The line has been really strong this year. So we'll see kind of how they come out against that that stronger Virginia rushing attack. Good to mention that uh, Virginia's Virginia's quarterback, who is an adept runner in his own right, curious to see the way Duke's defensive formations line up. I'll be there next weekend, and uh, and I'll be coming right out of my my final on economics. So uh, hopefully, hopefully, I'm in good shape to enjoy that entire game. I think that's it for Duke football, guys. We'll uh, we'll we'll catch in with them um, after the Virginia ta- Virginia game and going forward. This episode of the Duke Basketball Report podcast is brought to you by the boys of Bird Campbell, PA. 
Bird Campbell is pleased to announce the addition of Mike Bartok as a member of the firm to head their corporate and securities department. Mike is a 1984 Duke Law alum and was a longtime general counsel at Paramount. As Dick Vitale would say, he's a PTPer, baby. Duke basketball has the brotherhood, while Bird Campbell has the family, keeping it in the family. Go Duke. All right, we've gotten through, I think, all of the Duke news for the day. So we're going we're gonna to go around the horn and do our parting shots as usual and be done for this show. Donald, I'll start with you. What is your parting shot for this week? So we go back to football, and it was a cool story that Duke football released, I guess, on Friday, right before uh, the day before the ga- uh, game against uh, Georgia Tech. And it was about Daniel Jones, and we all know that he has clavicle injury um, a few weeks ago and that a couple weeks later he was – able to come back uh, and, and play against Virginia Tech, and he's back now uh, again for us. And it was talking about what he needed to do to protect that clavicle when it was uh, healed and, and to protect it from uh, further injury. And sure enough, uh, some Duke students uh, were able to help him with that. But it wasn't just Duke students. It was teammates. Um, senior linebacker Kevin Guessman and senior center Clark Bullitt they used a 3D printer to help develop a protective device for the clavicle. And it was really cool. You guys have to see the video. Um, Duke football posted it on all their social media. But it's a cool video about how they were able to take a scan of Daniel Jones' body, where the clavicle was, how it was broken, and what they what they wanted to protect. And really be able to you know go through several iterations of, uh, of protective devices and come up with the one that fit him the best and the one that would make it so that he had the most range of motion uh, with that uh, with that shoulder. So I thought that was pretty cool, and it's also really cool that it's two teammates on the football team that were able to do this for him. One of those guys is the guy that's supposed to protect him um, every every weekend um, in the center of Clark Bullet. But I, I think that goes to show you that when it comes to Duke, they, we're recruiting people who aren't just athletes. And I like the fact that these guys are thinking outside the box and it, you know, two of these guys came together to help out a teammate in a really cool way. So if you guys see that video, we'll post it when we post the thread, but uh, if you have, haven't seen it, go check it out. It's a really cool story and congrats to those guys for helping get our star quarterback back on the field. It, it is so, it's such a cool video. I, and like you say, I mean, <laughs> It's amazing. It's absolutely incredible that these guys who put in the time um, and effort to, to play a Division One major college sport like football, and I mean, it is a ton of extra work on their part. It's amazing that they could be, you know, these guys are like engineering, computer science geniuses. They're doing stuff that I, I can't even fathom. It's so cool. And, you know, huge hats off to them. Um, uh, it's the exact opposite of of the, the the bullshit classes that the Carolina players weren't taking. Um, uh, it shows that Duke actually cares about academics, and it shows that these guys, whether they go on to the NFL or something else, they learn really valuable, important stuff that's going to make society better, make them a better person, provide great jobs. I, you can't say enough about how fabulous that video is and what wonderful things it says about um, Duke's education and the Duke football and athletic program. Yeah, that it, it is a it is a wonderful story, and uh, I'm glad that that the football team bothers to um, 
get out there and, and highlight some of the some of the cool off the field stuff that the team is doing, especially as it as it relates to helping uh, their own teammates on the field succeed. So, Jason, your parting shot. So, heroes. Heroes are a rare and special thing in society. And I want to talk about a hero named Eddie Flores from Houston. The Houston Astros are playing a baseball game the other day, Major League Baseball playoffs, and Astros center fielder George Springer came up to bat. And Eddie Flores was at the game, and he told everyone in his section that George Springer would hit a home run. Now, it should be pointed out that George Springer is not a big home run hitter. Only had 22 homers in the season. He's, he's got power, but he's not a huge home run hitter. But Eddie Flores of Houston was so confident that his man, George Springer, was about to hit a dinger that Eddie Flores stood up in his section in the Houston Astrodome. Actually, it's not the Astrodome anymore, but it damn well will always be the Astrodome to me. He I believe it's Houston Minute Maid Park now, Jason. It has been a Maid Park. That's horrible and offensive. It is the Astrodome forever. Um, he stood up and he said, Springer's going to hit a home run, and when he does, I'm buying everyone a beer. And you can guess what happened next. George Springer hit a home run, and Eddie Flores kept his promise, and he bought $500 worth of beer for everyone around him who wanted one. Eddie Flores, this buds for you. Heroes are a truly rare, wonderful thing. Eddie Flores is a beer-buying hero. Jason, that's a beautiful story. I mean, really... Really, the kind of touching not, stuff that we need more. I'm of. not even an Astro fan. I'm not an Astro fan. I, you know, obviously, I'm rooting for the Braves. I went to the uh, one of the Braves playoff games, but that story just it touched me. It really did. I love it. I'm gonna finish up here today with, uh, with I guess I guess it's a personal story. I was at the North Carolina State Fair yesterday, and uh, that was great. Uh, for those who are who are local and have never been, what are you doing? Because the North Carolina State Fair features. Uh, some of the greatest. There's a lot of lot of local uh, farm stuff and and exhibits and uh, lots of loud noises and flashing lights. But most importantly, of course, the thing that everybody goes to the state fair for is the food. So one of my friends, uh, or actually two of my friends, had to share it because it would have been gross to eat all on your own. One of those burgers that has a Krispy Kreme donut on either end as instead of a instead of a regular bun. So that was great. Oh I had god. a oh my god, how good? How was it? Was it good? It, I didn't. I didn't try it, um, but my friends seemed pretty satisfied with their decision. I, I did didn't think it was necessary for them to put lettuce and tomato on the thing. I feel like the the patty just between the two donuts would have been sufficient. But I, I'm not the I'm not the genius behind the Krispy Kreme donut burger, so uh, I'm I'm clearly not creative enough for that. I I enjoyed a uh, a couple of deep fried uh, Reese's cups and uh, and a deep fried Oreo. So that was good. That that was my dinner last night. Uh, I'm feeling I'm feeling really chipper today. But the the fair, of course, was fun. And we also, my friends and I went down there. Uh, it's about half an hour from from Duke uh, in Raleigh. It's right near uh, it's right near the football stadium uh, where where NC State plays. And the parking around the state fair is a total mess. We parked illegally, like on the side of the road, and it said that there was going to be towing at the like on the street where we parked, like right near the entrance. And we were like, oh, well, it's going to be fine. It's such a mess here anyway. There's no way they're going to be towing. Well, a couple hours later, when my friends and I were leaving, they had begun towing cars off of the street where we were parked. So I think we were about 20 minutes away from having uh, our, our two cars towed, which is uh, really lucky for us. But, but we got out of there. No parking tickets. Uh, everything was all good. So uh, if you're around, I think, I think the fair goes on for another 
uh, for another week or so. So get yourselves down there and uh, and check out the state fair. It's uh, it's a treat. There, there is there is more to do than you could possibly take in. And honestly, the crowds are too big for you to get to everything anyway. It's a it's a it's an organizational mess, but it is a, a real delight for the senses. Uh, and I think we have one last announcement before we wrap it up. I'll throw it to Donald. Donald, what you got for me? So we were we would be remiss if we didn't uh, highlight um, that a couple weeks ago, uh, Duke uh, had one of its uh, you know longtime staff guy who had been there for thirty one years uh, move on to a new role uh, at a different university. Mike Craig, um, if you have been around the basketball program in the last you know twenty years you know who Mike Craig is. He is the, you know, he was a senior administrator. He was the deputy director of athletics and chief operating officer uh, for Duke, Duke athletics. He oversaw a lot of things, a lot of things that you may not know he was behind that he was behind, but you know, he was the guy doing it. The Wallace hey, let's just say it. he was, he was the protector of Duke basketball. Yeah, this is the but, guy in the athletic department who was sort of, he was the gatekeeper and, and the guy who made sure Duke basketball got everything it needed. Right. And and besides that, he also was v- instrumental in the renovation of Wallace Wade Stadium, uh, leading to the renovation of Koskinen and the building of the new track stadium. Um, he was re- responsible for the, the fundraising and, and the overseeing of all of that. But Mike Craig, uh, a couple weeks ago, I believe it was uh, the 27th of September, was named as the athletic director at St. John's University. Um, and that is an incredible get for St. John's. He's a mastermind when it comes to leading and in, 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 in an athletic department and really overseeing uh, facilities and planning for all uh, athletic programs. So not just basketball, he is a man that really can get it done no matter what the sport is. So congrats to Mike Craig. We certainly will miss you uh, at Duke university, but St. John's is getting a hell of a guy um, and a good, and a good person um, uh, at in Mike Craig. So congrats to him. You know who's going to miss him? Coach K is going to miss him. Absolutely. Mike Craig was probably the guy closest to Coach K in the Duke Athletic Department. All right. Thanks for that last bit of news. We'll, we'll end it there. So if you, uh, if you enjoyed the Duke Basketball Report podcast, don't forget to uh, subscribe on iTunes or Google or Stitcher or SoundCloud, anywhere that you get shows. Uh, give us those nice reviews. We always appreciate it. If you have any questions, complaints, anything for us, Feel free to send them to dbrpodcast at gmail.com. That's also the email address where we take submissions for new sponsorships. Of course, thanks again to Berg Campbell and um, to Dominate Test Prep. Dominate, of course, being our our newest sponsor for the show here. And uh, uh, again, dbrpodcast at gmail.com. That's the best place to get in touch with us. So for Donald Wine, for Jason Evans, I am Sam Klein. This has been episode 128 of the Duke Basketball Report podcast. Duke Band, take us home.